All right, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Riverside. We're so excited that you've come uh, to worship with us this morning. We're grateful uh, to have you here. We're going to be uh, beginning a new series today. It's uh, called Do Not Be Silent. It's coming out of the book of Acts. And so if you have your Bible with you, you can turn uh, to Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible, we have some by, uh, by either door and some carts here. We'd love to give you one as a gift. If, uh, if, you, don't, uh, if you don't have one, you can take it, take it home with you. It's yours to keep. Uh, We've been working through the book of Acts for a couple years now at Riverside, kind of taking breaks. We're doing pieces at a time, and we began all the way back in Acts chapter 1. And so for the next 12 weeks, we're going to be going Acts chapter 16 up through Acts chapter 20, uh, looking at this story of the, the early church. And so for those of you who may not be familiar, when in the Bible... Uh, from the time that Jesus came begins the New Testament, and we have four accounts of the life of Jesus. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, known as the Gospels. They tell us the story of Jesus' life. And then right after that in the Bible comes the book of Acts, which picks up the story of the early church. So after Jesus rose from the grave, he appears to his disciples. He tells them, I'm sending you out into all the earth to make disciples and to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he ascends up into heaven. And they wait for a little while, and then the Holy Spirit is given to them, and they are sent out uh, to take the gospel all over the world. And in the process, a persecutor of the church, one who was fighting against it, who hated Jesus, who hated the church, a guy named Saul, is, is literally taken uh, captive by Jesus. He's knocked off his horse. He's made blind. And Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you? <laughs> right? And uh, he says, my name is Jesus. And so he's introduced to Jesus and he becomes one of the greatest apostles uh, to share and spread the gospel through the book of Acts. And so much of the book of Acts picks up on his story. And so uh, in Acts chapters 1 through 15, we see uh, Paul then uh, teaming up with a guy named Barnabas and they go to all these different cities and they're bringing the gospel from place to place. Uh, and uh, by Acts chapter 15, what has happened is uh, they've gone, they've kind of completed the circuit, and then they've returned to Jerusalem because there's a challenge for the early church, uh, that there was a group that was saying, okay, Jesus was Jewish, and, uh, and so in order to be a true follower of Jesus, to be uh, a Christian, they're trying to explore, they didn't even have that word at this time yet, right? But uh, they're like, to be a follower of Jesus, do I have to become Jewish? And it was a huge thing for the church to sort out. And so he returns to Jerusalem, and they, and they, they talk about it, and they discuss it, and they pray, and they, they ask for the Holy Spirit to guide them, and, and ultimately they, uh, they affirm what Paul has been teaching, is that salvation comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's not through works. It's not through circumcision. It's not through baptism. It's through placing your faith in Jesus Christ. For some of you here today, that's the message that you need to hear. That's a, uh, you got your part early on, 30 seconds into the sermon, right? It, uh, it's not about ceremony. It's not about religion. It's not about trying to do the right thing so that God will accept you. It's about coming to realize that Jesus has done everything that was necessary for you to receive salvation, and he offers salvation and forgiveness to you as a free gift. And when you grab a hold of that, when you really grab a hold of what that means— it transforms your life because suddenly you're not living constantly wondering if you're good enough, constantly wondering if you've done enough for God to love you, constantly wondering if he's mad at you or he's disappointed in you. You realize how fully loved you are, and then you can move forward into the life that God has laid out and planned before you. It tells us in Scripture that he's, he's created us to do good works that he's prepared for us, uh, and not so that we could earn his love, but because he loved us. And so it's this great unifying moment in the church where the church comes together and they say, no, it's, it's faith in Christ alone that saves us. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to become Jewish. Uh, you just have to place your faith in Christ and honor him with your life. 
And so it seems like a great moment, but at the very, very end of chapter 15, there's actually some, some dissension that comes in. And so we're going we're gonna to look at that a little bit. But, but I wanted to share with you a little bit about uh, this, this title, Do Not Be Silent. There's a couple layers to this. Uh, when we get to Acts chapter 18, we're going to see that God is going to appear to Paul in a vision, and he's going to say to him, hey, do not be afraid, do not be silent. Uh, keep sharing what I've sent you to share, and don't worry about your life. I have people in this city uh, who I'm drawing to myself, and I need you to do it. And so it's this proclamation to him that as Paul was going, it was amazing. He would do the same thing from city to city. One city he goes, people receive him gladly. They hear his words. They respond. They're baptized. They enter into the new church. They become believers. It's exciting. It's encouraging. He goes to the next city, does the exact same thing, and there's a riot. And they throw stones at him until they think he's dead, or they put him in prison, or they cast him out of the city. And so Paul was a normal person, just like you or and I. And so, so if you go out tomorrow, and, and whatever you do during the day, if at the end of the day they have a parade in your honor, and they're, and they're like waving palm branches, and there's confetti flying like New Year's Eve, right? You're going to think, man, that was a pretty good day. I'm going to do that again, right? Because I feel pretty good about how that landed. On the other hand, if you go out tomorrow and do, do, do what you do, and somebody comes and arrests you, or somebody beats you up, or somebody throws you out of the town, or somebody, uh, somebody just uh, berates you up and down, you're going to be like, oh man, I must have I done something wrong, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change course. Tomorrow I'm going to do it a little bit different because I don't want to go through that again. And what, what, what God's trying to tell Paul is like, no, I'm not worried about the day-to-day -day, uh, apparent successes and failures. I'm concerned by your obedience. Whether a day is a good day or a bad day is based on how obedient you were to what I called you to do. And what I've called you to do is to go and to proclaim the gospel. Same thing for us. That he's trying to, to move us to a bigger understanding that we don't rise and fall with the, the, the ebb and flow of life. Life is difficult for all of us at times, and it's joyous at other times. Uh, but, but God wants us to be more concerned with our obedience than, than attaining momentary comfort and happiness. And so, so that all that is wrapped up in this title. There's also an element where we've, we've reached a place in our society where uh, we were uh, part of a, a largely Christian culture, and now we've moved into what is largely a post-Christian culture. You know, 20, 30 years ago, it would have just been assumed that the people that you're running into uh, are Christian, that they go to church, that they follow Christian morals and norms and, and values. And, and today, the general assumption as you go out into the world is that, that most of the people that you run into do not share your morals. They do not share your values. They do not share your beliefs. They do not share a faith in Christ. And so it's, it's been a change. And sometimes the church is a little slow in catching up uh, to the changes of our culture, right? And so there was a time when, for right or wrong, it was, it was told to us, hey, leave, leave your religion and your politics at home. When you come into the public sphere, just come and, and do your thing, put your head down, leave that as a private matter, and you can go back home and do whatever you want. But when you're in the public sphere, don't bring that in here. But think about the world that we live in today. We live in, in a world today where everyone's uh, moral values, their, their, what they think is right and wrong, their, their chosen set of beliefs is right on the forefront of who they are, right? They bring it into the public sphere. They put it on Facebook. They, uh, they demand that in the workplace and in the schools or whatever that, that, that what they believe in their rights is, is honored and recognized and valued and celebrated. And so as Christians, if, if that's what's going on in, in the culture around us, and we're still sitting back kind of like, well, I really shouldn't say anything. I should, I should just kind of be quiet. I, you know, I, shouldn't, I know it's not appropriate to bring my Bible to work. I can't put it on the dash of my truck. I can't, I can't put it on my desk because that might offend somebody. I don't want to do that. If that's where we're still at, we're lagging behind. We're missing a cultural opportunity in a moment that we have to say like, hey, this is the, the center of who I am. 
And, and, and it's within my rights, and, it, and it's a good thing for me to bring this with me wherever I go. I've talked with my, my daughter, Emma, about, you know, she's in sixth grade. She's in her final year of elementary school, and, you know, we'll talk about things. She's like, oh, I, I can't bring my Bible to school. And I'm like, well, um, there's things you can't do at school, but as a, as a private student, you can bring your Bible with you to school. You're allowed to do that. And so there's, there's kind of this assumption that we're not allowed to do a lot of things. And so I want to encourage you today to think about that. And throughout the course of this series, is there an area where you've been silent, where you've kind of been hiding who you are publicly? You know, if you went into work tomorrow and said, hey, I just want to let you guys know I'm a Christian, would they be like, what? <laughs> I, I am shocked. And, you know, maybe it's because you're like it. You're like the biggest jerk in here. There's no way you're right. Or, or maybe it's just because, man, you've just never said anything. Like, how would I know, right? Like, hopefully people would be like, uh, yeah, we figured that out, right, like a while ago. So, so there's, as always, there's, a, there's an opportunity for self-reflection here as we walk through the Scripture and we let it, let it speak into our lives. And so we're going to begin, as I said, we're tackling Acts chapter 16, but I want to give you just a little bit of, of, of context coming out of the end of Acts chapter 15. Keith preached on this at the very end of our last Acts series, which I think was a little over a year ago. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It says this, it says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul felt best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." So as I had mentioned, we were coming off this great victory moment where the church is unified, they're agreeing, it's faith in Christ alone, that's what unifies us, that's all we need. And then right after that, we have this moment of conflict. And, and Barnabas, when you read through the book of Acts, is like the unknown superstar, right? He's, he's incredible. He's the one that when he finds out that Saul, the persecutor of the church, has been converted, he's the one that goes and finds him and checks it out and says, this is legitimate. And he brings him to Jerusalem and introduces him to the 11 remaining disciples and says, hey, Saul's been converted. Uh, let, me, let, let me connect you guys together. He's the one that when he sees God doing work in Antioch, he goes and he does work there and he says, I got to bring Paul in on this. So Barnabas has had Paul's back all along and he's been a faithful companion and they've been great friends, right? And you can kind of picture if they made a movie of this, right, that this moment of like they have this big fight and there's some, you know, 80s pop ballad going in the background and Paul's just wistfully thinking about all the great times he and Barnabas had together and what their friendship meant. And, and Barnabas and John Mark are sailing off across, you know, over to Cyprus. Uh, now, now, what it doesn't tell you here is John Mark was actually Barnabas's cousin. And so, uh, so there was an element here where maybe he was just sticking up for the family, right? Um, uh, at some point, he was on a mission with them. He was journeying with them, and he bailed out. He had to leave and go home. And Barnabas felt it was justified, and Paul said it wasn't justified. Paul felt like he abandoned them in their moment of need. And, and he's like, I can't trust somebody who's going to abandon us when the going gets tough. And so that's where the division came from. But we can kind of picture Paul then. He asked Silas to join him, and, and it was kind of an epic journey to get where they were going. They had to go through this incredible ma uh, mountain pass. There was only one way to kind of get across, and it was, it was beautiful. I tried to find pictures of it for you, but now there's like a highway running through it, and it doesn't look nearly as majestic. But kind of picture Lord of the Rings when they're climbing up over the mountains, right? And, and Paul has all this time to think about, like, hey, what went wrong? 
had this good friend Barnabas, and, and now we're not together, and we've gone different directions, and, and my heart is broken, but, but also maybe within him is birthed this thing of like, wow, that was horrible, but maybe this is a good thing after all, because now they're going out, and we're going out, and instead of just one team, now there's two teams that are going and spreading, and so birthed in him is this, maybe this heart for, for multiplication. And so let's look at what happens beginning in chapter 16. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him, and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in their numbers daily. So there's a, there's a lot of really fascinating things in this, in this brief you know, five verses. But what I really want us to, to zone in on today is this discipling relationship, one of the all-time great, amazing discipling relationships that begins to unfold between Paul and Timothy. And so we want to begin looking at Paul. What are the characteristics of Paul as, a, as an intentional and strategic disciple maker that said, hey, I can't do this on my own. I need to invest in other people. I need to teach other people to do what I do and to love Jesus the way that I love Jesus so that they can go out and carry the mission forward long after I'm gone. And there's several things that I see here. The first one is this idea of perseverance and learning from trials, learning from difficulties, learning from mistakes. Now, uh, we, we've explored this this disagreement that he had with, with his good friend Barnabas, right? And, and have you guys ever had this thing in your life? Have you ever had an experience where you did something wrong? <laughs> you made a mistake, you screwed things up, but somehow, in his, in his amazing way, God twisted it around and, and turned it into something great, into something beautiful. It's like, like you screwed up totally, but, but then God came around and fixed it and made it amazing. And you're like, oh man, I'm so glad that that happened because look at this. There's, there's two ways you can respond to that. One is to say, I knew it. I knew I was right all along. Look what God did out of that. So, so I was justified in doing that. The other way is to look at it and say, God, your grace is even more amazing than I realized because even when I screw up and just totally miss the mark and drop the ball, you can still turn it into something that glorifies you. I remember, uh, I don't think he's in here now. He was here in the first service. Andrew Crozier at one point, uh, he had emailed me. He, he wanted to, to get involved with my small group. And I, for a while, he had been on my heart um, to invite him to our small group. But I just didn't do it. I just kept putting it off. I was procrastinating. And one day I was like, I, I got to do this. So I sat down and I emailed him and I said, hey, Andrew, I've been thinking, you've been on my mind, man. I want to invite you to come out to our small group. Well, he told me later that he had been thinking about small group and that day had just opened up his email with the intention of like, hey, I got to open up my email. I'm going to email Ezra and ask him about my small group. And so he opens up in his email, and lo and behold, there's this unread email from me saying, Andrew, I want you to join our small group. And uh, it was like this God moment for him. He was like, wow, that's incredible. Like, I was, I was thinking that. And, um, and so I was tempted to be like, yeah, I, 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 it's exactly how I planned it, right? But, but the reality is I had procrastinated, and maybe if I had invited him Four weeks earlier, who knows, you know, what God would have unfolded. But, but God is gracious even in our mistakes, and we, and we learn from them. And so I learned from that experience, hey, act. When God puts it on your heart, just do it. He can work through anything, but it's better if you're, if you're in, on the, in on the plan rather than him working counter to your mistakes. And so, so God taught Paul this lesson, and he seems to be growing and learning from this. The second thing that I see beyond his perseverance is, this idea of macro consistency versus micro consistency, and um, this is this is a really 
powerful thing. And, and a lot of what's kind of wrong and broken in the world, is, is it kind of centers around these things. And so the thing that brings us to light here is uh, he's carrying a letter with him that says uh, circumcision does not, uh, you don't have to be circumcised to be saved. It's not necessary for salvation. And he's bringing this letter with him to share it to the churches. And he goes into the town and he, meet, and he, and he, and he finds Timothy. And then the first thing that he does with Timothy is what? He has him get circumcised, right? And so you're like, whoa, that's inconsistent. Like, wait, he's telling everybody they don't have to do it. And now he tells this guy he's got to do it. That, that doesn't make sense, right? But, but what we see when we look at this at a deeper level is here's what happened. This was a huge issue in the church, and it was causing people to miss the gospel and to fall away from the gospel and be misled and be confused. And so Paul fought hard to get this resolved. And if you read the letter to Galatians and several other letters in the New Testament, you see how hard he fought against the, the circumcision party, the Judaizers. But once they came to a place of unity, once that issue was resolved, Paul came to a place of having total freedom in it. And so I imagine, we don't, we don't see it captured in Scripture, but I imagine that Paul went to Timothy and said, hey, listen, here's the deal. You don't have to be circumcised. It's not required. But I'm going to be going into Jewish synagogues, and, and everybody in this area knows that your dad was a Greek and that you weren't circumcised, and so you're not going to be welcome in there. You're not going to be able to go with me. I'm going to be invited into people's homes, and, and you're not going to be welcome there because you're uncircumcised. You're considered unclean by these people, and I want you to be there with me. And so would you be willing to do this? Would you be willing to bear this cost that's not required but, but that will make you a more effective servant of Jesus? And Timothy says, yeah, yeah, I'm willing to do that. And so, so at a macro level, at the big level, Paul's being incredibly consistent. Paul has always said, hey, whatever is most effective to bring the gospel to the Jews, I'm a Jew, to the Greeks, I'm a Greek, to the Romans, I'm a Roman, to whoever, I'll, do, I'll take on whatever I need to to communicate the truth of the gospel to the people that I come in contact with. And so he's willing. He doesn't hold on to these, these smaller things. But so many times in our own lives, what do we do? We, uh, we set up rules and structures, kind of man-made things of like, oh, I can't get outside of that. No, I, I can't do that. Even if it seems like it would be better or more effective, it's, eh, no, that's not how I do it. That's, traditionally, that's not what we do. We were joking around this morning. We, uh, for, for a long time, we did uh, announcements. We had people come up here and, and share the announcements. Uh, for the last 12 weeks, we've been doing video announcements. And uh, on New Year's Day, when like 12 people showed up at 9 a.m. because they didn't realize that we didn't have a 9 a.m. service, we said, hey, you know, maybe video announcements is not proving to be the most effective way because we had it in the video for the past six weeks, and yet... Somehow people still missed it. So, uh, so, so we went back to, you know, these, these sacred things that we can get so wrapped up in, they just, they, they don't really matter. And I say sacred loosely, right? They're sacred to us. They, they don't matter. Jesus just wants us to be effective. And so a big part of what we're trying to do as a church is to strip away all the things that don't matter to get people right in a direct, connected relationship with Jesus. That's what we want to do. And whatever we feel is most effective to do that is how we're going to approach ministry. And, and Paul understood that. And so he was macro consistent. And I would challenge you and I would ask you, is, is, is that the picture of your life? Um, you know, it's New Year's resolution time. Think about your spiritual disciplines, you know, that uh, do you take pride in the fact of saying, hey, I do 15 minutes of scripture reading every morning or, or I read 17 chapters a day or I have a Bible reading plan. That might be awesome. And hey, and if you're doing that, that's, that's incredibly faithful. That's a good thing. But are you doing it to do it? Are you doing it to pat yourself on the back? Or are you doing it to know and to glorify Jesus? Because <laughs> if you're doing it to know him, it's okay to explore like, hey, you know what, I've been doing this, but maybe I'm going to try something different. Maybe I'm just going to read one paragraph a day and really like soak into it. 
Maybe instead of reading through the whole Bible this year, maybe I'm just going to read through the book of Luke and just saturate myself in the words of Jesus. Hey, either one is great, right? There's not one religiously prescribed way to do it. It's just continually asking yourself, hey, am I just doing this to do it? Am I just going through the motions? Am I just in a routine? Or am I really trying to be as effective as I can in pursuing a relationship with, with Jesus, really knowing him? I want to encourage you that, that that's what he wants. He wants you to know him. And so we've got to be willing to, to give up on the micro-consistency to pursue the macro-consistency. we just got to ask that big question. Is this helping me to know Jesus better or not? If it's not, maybe you should let it go. Maybe it's a good thing that's not a great thing in your life. The third thing that I see, he's got perseverance through, and he learns from his mistakes. He has macro-consistency. The third thing is that we see life-on-life, hands-on training. That, that when he identified Timothy as a, as a good uh, disciple, as someone who would be useful in, in the mission, he didn't say, hey, uh, I, I see a lot of potential in you. I'm going to send you to Jerusalem. I want you to go through an intensive 10-year training in, in the scriptures. And then when you get done with that, come back to me and I'll send you out on time. No, he says, hey, come on, let's go. Let's just go do ministry together. Let me, let me show you. Let me train you. Isn't this what Jesus did? Jesus didn't go to the seminaries. He didn't go to, and nothing wrong with seminaries, right? But, but he didn't go to the synagogues and say, show me your most promising uh, Pharisees, the up-and-comers, right? Let me, let me have those guys. He went out to the lake and said to the fishermen, like, hey, are you willing to follow me? And they said, yeah. And he's like, awesome, let's go, <laughs> right? You passed the test. You said yes. Sometimes we want to wait until we're, we're good enough, until we've got enough education, until we've got enough training. And, and God just says, jump in. Follow me, hands-on. And so we try and embrace that as much as possible. We're trying to get the right blend of we want to train and equip and teach people, but really we just want people to jump in and just start doing ministry. And it's going to be messy, and sometimes we're going to make mistakes, and it might not always be pretty, and it might not make a great photo op, but we don't really care about any of that, right? We just want to be effective in our ministry for Jesus. And so as, as we pursue discipleship, we want to be doing it in a life-on-life, hands-on way. And the, following, the, the final thing that I see with him is that, that he was really good about follow-up and reinforcement. The whole course of this mission, uh, he didn't say, hey, where's the uncharted territory? Where's somewhere that I can go? He, he had a heart for that. He wanted to take the gospel where it had not been preached. But he said, hey, I think there's a need. We've started these baby churches, and they're going to need some help. And so we should take a journey and go back through and see what they're doing well and encourage them and see where they're maybe missing the mark and help get them back on track because we want them to thrive and we want to, them to flourish. And, and it's the same way in personal discipleship. If um, we take a personalized approach with some people you might meet uh, for a year, two years, uh, to, to get to a place of really investing in and encouraging them. So other people you might with, meet with three or four times and say, hey, I think I've shown you enough. You're ready to go do this. Just gonna make it happen. But then we don't cut them loose and say, good luck, you know, I'll see you in heaven. Tell me how it went, right? Like we follow back up. A month or two later, you know, we say, hey, I know you started meeting with this person. How's that going? How can I help you? How can I equip you? What are you running into that you weren't expecting? How can I help you to keep going so that, that you can make disciples that are going to make disciples that are going to make disciples? That's our heart. I mean, as a church, that's, that's what we're here to do. We're here to equip uh, saints for the work of ministry, right? We're, we're to help people that are disciples of Jesus uh, get more effective and more fruitful in the ministry that he's laid out for them. And we're here to help people who don't know Jesus to become his followers, to become disciples, to learn to know everything that Jesus taught them. So that's what we see on, on Paul's side. Let's flip the coin. Let's look at Timothy. What did, what did Timothy do? What was it in Timothy that made him a good candidate to be invested in, to be a disciple? Well, the first thing that we see is that, that his character, right? He's already identified right off the bat as a disciple. 
And so we shouldn't think of him primarily as a disciple of Paul. He's a disciple of Jesus, first and foremost and always. And for every one of us, the same thing is true, that we are primarily disciples of Jesus Christ. He's the one we're trying to follow. He's the one that we're trying to learn. And so Paul came and said, hey, uh, you've got a great reputation. Everybody around here sees the things that you're doing. Uh, they're not surprised at the fact that you're a Christian. In fact, they're, they're, they're talking about how great the things that God is doing in and through you already. And so I would encourage you to think about if, if God has laid it on your heart, maybe as you're coming into the new year, you're like, man, I, uh, I feel like God's calling me to something more. I feel like he's calling me to something bigger. I feel like there's, there's another step that he wants me to take in obedience and following through with him. There's, there's something that he's laid out before me. I, I feel like I'm right on the edge of it. I would encourage you, what has he already laid out in front of you? What's already in your life that you can just be faithful at and do with excellence? If you're serving here in the church, how can you serve in the best way possible here in the church? How can you invest in others that are on your team to help them be better at it? If you haven't jumped in in service, uh, where's a place where, where you can serve? We just uh, shared in the announcements this morning that uh, there's an opportunity to invest in, in our future, in the kids, right? This isn't just child care, right? This is the opportunity to, to uh, help kids to understand at the level that they're at who Jesus is and what he has done for them. That's a powerful thing. And so there's an opportunity to that. There's an opportunity. I, man, thank God for the, the guys that were out there helping park cars this morning, right? 15 degrees, they're out there. Can we give them a hand? That, I mean, and you might say, hey, you know, I, I don't know how parking cars at, uh, when it's 15 degrees, I don't know how that helps me get closer to Jesus, right? But, but it demonstrates a willingness to do what's necessary, that there's new people, there's visitors and guests that came with us that would not have known where to go or what to do if there wasn't somebody out there to kind of direct them and make them feel welcome and say, hey, you're in the right place, come in. We welcome you, right? And so they're doing a powerful work of ministry. And if they're faithful in that, God's going to continue to grow that and give them more and more. Second thing we see that is that he had a whole set of local ties and connections. Isn't it interesting that he had a Greek father and a Jewish mother? And so he had these, these spheres of influence that kind of cut across that region in all different kinds of ways. And I want to encourage you that God has given you spheres of influence that nobody else in this room has. That none of our Facebook circles match up perfectly, right? Uh, that, that there's the people that you grew up with and the people you went to high school and to, uh, to college or, or the people that you, you served at a job with or they're, they're, they're maybe you used to live in a different town. And so you've got this crazy mix of people that God has put you in their life. And, and there may be somebody, and they may come to mind as you think about it, that you're like, man, if somebody's going to share the gospel with them, it's probably going to be me. I'm the person who's best positioned to demonstrate Jesus into their life. And if I'm not taking up that responsibility, who's going to do it? Who's more likely, right? So, so we each have this unique circle of people that God has placed us in a position to reach. And, and Paul saw that in Timothy. He said, hey, if I, if I can get to Timothy, I can get to this whole region. There's a whole wealth of relationships that he has. The third thing, we've touched on it briefly, but, but he was willing to be circumcised, right? That conversation could have went very differently, uh, Paul could have came to Timothy and said, hey, I, um, I, I want you to join me in mission. I'm excited. I, I, man, I, I see your reputation. I, there's just this small surgical procedure that I'd like you to go through. <laughs> and he could have said, hey, you know, I, I wanted to talk to you about that because I saw in your, in your satchel that you've got some letters from the church in Jerusalem, and I'm pretty sure it said in there that I don't have to be circumcised. And so if I get a choice, I'm going to go with that, that option, right? He, he could have. He would have been justified in doing that, but I, I, I think that he understood that his willingness to do this uncomfortable thing that wasn't required, 
but that was going to make him more effective in his ministry, that he was willing to do that. And, and I would challenge you this morning, is there something that God's laid out before you that, that is going to make you more effective in ministry, but that's going to cost you something? It might be humility. You might have to lay down your pride. You might have to take on something that seems in your heart beneath you. You might have to uh, 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 walk across the room in forgiveness with somebody that you've been harboring anger at in your heart. There, uh, there might be a broken relationship. There might be, um, uh, you might have to learn how to forgive yourself. Maybe you've, you've messed up and you hear that God forgives you, but you're not sure that you can believe that and you're not ready to forgive yourself and so you're just kind of stuck in limbo. And maybe the hard work that you're going to have to do is learning how to to believe that Jesus has forgiven you and also learning how to forgive yourself. It goes on and on, right? That there's, there's a million things, but, but, but I'm convinced that the thing that keeps us from moving forward and maturing in our relationship with Jesus is often there's a hurdle that we get to and we're just not ready to jump over it. We're not willing. And I would encourage you, make today today. Make today the day to do that. Lay it at the cross and say, I don't even know how I'm going to do that. I don't, I don't think I have the strength to do it, but I'm just going to lay it at your feet and I'm just going to ask you to do what I can't do, Jesus. And watch how he works in your life. Last thing we see here is that he was, he was ready to take that next step, to go to the next level. I love that um, uh, Genesis shared in her testimony, right? What a, what a good example uh, today of somebody who was willing to do something that may have been uncomfortable, may have been, uh, may have been difficult, may have been challenged, but she's willing to do that as, as the next step of obedience and faithfulness. And I love how she tied in the testimony of Ross and Angela. And we had the privilege as a church of baptizing them just a couple of years ago. And part of Angela's testimony is she was, she was saying, hey, I've been praying to God about it. God, what do you want me to do next? Where are you calling me to be obedient? Where do you want me to go? And, and he laid on her heart like, hey, I want you to be baptized. That's the next thing for you. And she was faithful and she was obedient and she said yes. And that put her in a position to minister to Genesis. And now Genesis said yes. And that's going to put her in a position to minister to somebody else. And maybe you're sitting in this room today. Maybe there's somebody here today that in a couple of weeks we're going to get the, the privilege of watching them be baptized. <laughs> Maybe you're going to come to me and say, hey, Ezra, I'm, I'm ready. Genesis' testimony touched my heart, and now I'm ready to share my testimony, right? It just goes. It multiplies. That's how the kingdom works. The result of all this was that churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number. And those things go together, right? When a church is increasing, when we're strengthening in our faith, we can't help but increase in number because people that are being strengthened in the faith are excited. They're living it out. And they can't wait to tell people, like, hey, you know what God's doing in my life? You know what God's doing in our church? Do you know what I got to see? Do you know what I got to witness? You won't believe what God's doing, right? And the more that that's happening, people want to come in. There's a lot of people in this community that are hungry for a relationship with God. Maybe they had it as a child. Maybe they had uh, parents or grandparents that invested in them, but they've, they've drifted away. And they, there's part of them that's yearning for that, but they just don't know where or how to connect into it. And all it would take for you to say, hey, I, I'm going to a place where I see God doing something. And would you like to come? That might be all they need uh, to settle for an incredible journey, right? Such a little thing on your part uh, that could have eternal ramifications for them. Ultimately, we always want to look to Jesus, right? Jesus demonstrated this perfectly. No surprise. <laughs> Jesus was the ultimate disciple maker. And you might think, well, as the ultimate disciple maker, did Jesus have a thousand disciples? Jesus had 12 that he really invested in and three that he really, really poured into. And then after he rose, he did appear to Paul, and, and he called him in, right? So, so he made some, uh, some, some, some extra calls there at the end. But, but Jesus invested in a handful of people that changed the world in such a way that now we're in a continent they didn't even know existed, 
speaking a language that didn't exist. And we're here praising Jesus because of what those people did in response to what Jesus laid in their hearts. It's the power of discipleship. It's the power of multiplication that, that it all goes back to Jesus. It's always all about him. And he invites us to that, that, that life-on-life part, the hands-on thing. Jesus is right there with you. When you come into a relationship with him, he's not saying, hey, come catch up to me. I'm way over here. Come, come try and find me. He says, no, I want to walk with you every day. When you wake up in the morning, I want you to say, Jesus, what do you want me to do today? What person are you going to bring across my path? And, and what word are you going to lay on my heart to share with them? What, what divine appointments are you scheduling for me? I, I'm going to go do my job. I'm going to eat food. I'm going to get my kids dressed. I'm going to send them. I have mundane, normal things to do, but... but but I'm on mission for you and with you because I believe you're walking with me. And when we learn to abide with Christ in that way, that's when it gets really exciting. That's when it transforms the way that we live our lives. I want to ask you today, are, are, like Timothy, are you willing to go? Is there something that, that he's calling you to? Is there something he needs to circumcise out of your life? Is he asking you to do something and are you willing to have the courage to say, yeah, I'm going to do it? If you had relationship uh, connections that you've made, are you willing to look at those as gospel opportunities? For each one of us, the answer to those are going to be different, but, but ultimately what he's doing is he's leading us towards him.